It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. It's basketball time in the queue. It's over! It's over! The 52 year drought is over! The Cavaliers have won the NBA Championship! Cleveland! This is for you! Mitchell goes to the basket and buries Cornette! Garland high steps over the timeline, stumps on a dime, hits the three! Darius Garland has been unreal here in the fourth quarter. Jack clock down to five. Lillard blocked by Mobley. The shoot around. Welcome back to the club. The Cavs played their last two games of the season with a win against the Orlando Magic, 118 to 94. By the way, Isaiah Mobley showed up big with 18 points off the bench. Very nice to see. The Cavaliers then wrapped up the year with a very predictable, although close until the fourth quarter, 106-95 loss at home against the Hornets. That brings us to 51 wins and 31 losses for the season, with a 31-10 home record and a 20-21 road record. Considering we were eight games from first, that road record is definitely an Achilles heel. Let's hope it doesn't continue in the playoffs or we won't be talking about them for long. Colin, as I mentioned, the older Mobley looked great against the Magic, do you think Bickerstaff will utilize him more in the upcoming Knicks series? I did like what I saw out of him on the court, and he definitely showed that he has the confidence and the IQ to navigate the NBA game. But I'm not sure if he'll get any playing time during this playoff series, mainly because there are a few guys ahead of him, like Lamar Stevens and Dean Wade. But I'm certain he will be fighting for a rotation spot next year. Speaking of the playoffs, the Cavs are going to face the Knicks in the first round on Saturday, so let's get to it. We are thrilled that you are listening to this episode, and instead of an ad, we would like you to subscribe to Apple Podcasts and Spotify to keep following our show. And if you're interested in seeing this on YouTube, please like and subscribe. We appreciate the support. The national media is currently talking about Evan Mobley and his ascendancy as one of the best defenders in the league. But some in the local media are concerned about losing to the Knicks, thinking that the season will be a bust if things play out that way. Why are we forever a town of Debbie Downers? Most of our listeners understand that you and I are best friends and we became best friends growing up in the Cleveland area. And it's something you and I have always talked about because you grew up in the Chicago area where you had teams have success and I was a 49ers fan still follow them a lot and that was a team that also had success so we were kind of unique friends in that sense as well because we looked outside of Cleveland to find joy uh, when it came to sports teams and I think a big reason why Cleveland has kind of this Debbie Downer mentality is because of their continued love for the Browns and football. For whatever reason, they just put so much more stock in football. And I think that mentality is really tricky because that's a completely different league. So I think a lot of times even the local media apply the type of mentality of like, oh, it's we're in it to win it no matter what. And it's so hard to have a dynasty in football, unlike in basketball, 
where you can have a young team like what we do develop year after year after year and then finally have success. You saw that with the Spurs. The Lakers have done it, what, 17 times in the NBA. Boston's done it. Even a team that wasn't a dynasty per se, like the Pistons, they still won a championship and they were relevant for a long time. And I think that you're there more often than I am, obviously, because you still live in the area. So you'll comment probably in a more educational way. But I think a lot of the local media just still thinks like, just like a, a Browns franchise or like a Cleveland, you know, a football franchise where you can only win one Super Bowl or you can only win one thing, one game at a time. And it's just not, it's a weird application to what basketball actually is. No, all good points. I think we've, we've addressed this a little bit over the two years we've been doing this podcast. Yeah. I think that we'll always lament that this is just never going to be a basketball town. Mm -hmm. Um, They, they had a real sad story here for a long Mm -hmm. time, (laughs) which was that this town has never had a national championship, right? A a relevant championship within the three major sports, but they were always in the back of their head going, we really just want it for the Browns first, Indians second, and then if the Cavs get it, great. But they never expected mm. that the Cavs would because the Cavs have historically been kind of like one of those basement dweller teams in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've had some success in the 80s and early 90s, but otherwise, and some success with LeBron, but you know, there is a, a the Stepian rule for a reason. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Cavaliers have been sad like any other organization uh, in this town, and it's been hard for them to build a fan base over the years um, because of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Because there was already most of the, the people here uh, clinging for dear life to the Browns and the Indians. <laughs> Fast forward 50 plus years, and the team that got over the hump and won it all was the Cavs, and Nobody really cares. You know, now nobody in this town will say, oh, we don't have a championship because they know they have one. Um, But what they Mm -hmm. really now uh, can be honest with themselves and say is that they just really want a Browns championship. Right. So, yes, at the end of the day, um, I think we're a perennial double Debbie Downer when it comes to the NBA because this town just does not fundamentally understand the differences between the sports and that. In basketball, it's kind of a long slog for seven, eight, mm-hmm. nine years of finding a way into a, a decent organization. And then once that organization figures out how to get it done, then you've got another five, six years of building towards a championship. Um, and then you've got a very, very small window to become a dynasty, which is mm-hmm. the, the organizations you mentioned. And I know I have lamented uh or that i was upset when we won our first ring that everybody in town was like well we did it and we Mm -hmm. don't have to do any more it's like no no like Mm -hmm. (laughs) the only way to be great in the nba is to win multiple rings Mm -hmm. um so you know maybe maybe the fan base here will understand that when and if one day the Cavs can bring multiple rings here Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, uh, this is just not a basketball town and it's never going to be. So just know that Cavs players and don't take offense that we just don't care as much. Colin, this season has been awesome and it started with a bang because of the Donovan Mitchell trade. 
We agree that this was huge for the team and the organization, but what have you seen him do to propel the Cavs to the fourth seed? How has he changed the team's identity over these past 82 games? Obviously, we have seen that this team is different. We've noted that the team, the organization, everything about the atmosphere of the team has changed. And we've noted it in almost every episode, if not every other episode. And we did, I think, four or five episodes in a row once we got Donovan Mitchell because we had to kind of correct ourselves initially. We uh, had suggested that maybe they shouldn't have traded for him. Uh, But I think that that has worked out for us that we got him. And I think for me, the biggest presence I see him on the floor is that he is just a guy that is someone that you can go to to get a bucket. And I think the the previous season when the Cavs were in the play-in tournament, it's not that Darius Garland couldn't do that. It's not that Jared Allen couldn't do that or even Markkanen. It's just that they weren't as consistent. You could probably look at Donovan Mitchell and say eight, maybe even nine times out of ten, if they needed a basket, he would be able to get to uh, the hoop and either draw a foul or you know, have the defense collapse on him and then he can dish it off to get a, you know, a corner three from Levert or whoever. And I think that that's really what you see is he can get a bucket and he is really a player that causes gravity to happen on the floor, which is really deadly. And it is helpful because this team is so reliant on its defense as its identity that the offense would get bogged down in previous seasons with, with basically DG being the main initiator. And now Garland can be off ball more and you can have Donovan be the initiator or vice versa. They're bringing Mobley along. The offense just hums a little bit better when you have a guy who the defense is terrified of and is always, he's always an ideal matchup. You know, I've heard this on a few podcasts now. Donovan Mitchell is also, he is going to be the best player on the floor in this Knicks series. And depending on how you break it down, if they end up playing the Bucks, it's Giannis and then Donovan Mitchell. So that's the, the last thing I'll say here is it gave not only gravity, but it gave the Cavs organization and this really young team an identity of, hey, you have to mess with this guy if you want to win. You have to outplay one of the top 10, 15 players, the best shooting guard in the Eastern Conference to win a game. And that that's kind of what I'm seeing from the, the overall season and what he has brought. We're a completely different level of confidence as a team with Donovan Mitchell out there. I think that, um, you know, there's a few things that come to mind that stick out like a sore thumb compared to last season. One is that our home record was a lot better uh-huh. and uh, compared to last year. And also, we even won a few more games on the road. Even though we still had a losing record on the road, we, we improved. But we were the best fourth quarter team in the league by 180 points. Mm -hmm. 180 point differential. 
And, you know, the team behind us is the 76ers, which is the best team in the league in the East. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's Donovan Mitchell to me. Every game that I watched, whether it was him leading the charge or just his infectious attitude, right? His never going to give up, never going to quit, right? If there's Mm -hmm. still uh, numbers on the clock, then he's out there fighting till the the whistle blows. And I saw that effort from the Cavs through the entire season, even the last couple games to finish out the year, which yeah. you and I thought would be a wash, and we actually mm-hmm. won a game. Because <laughs> yeah. I think that Donovan Mitchell made everybody, just like when you get a LeBron or you get a Jordan mm-hmm. or, or any kind of major game-changing player, all of a sudden, I think not just the organization, but the players on the team go, oh, this is our shot. Mm-hmm. This is this is a, a big chance for us now. We've got a small window to, to, to make this possible. And that's where I think we didn't quite, you know, if we had really stopped to think outside of, you know, the being rabid fans of the Cavs, and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. some and people that wanted to support Colin Sexton. Colin could never provide that to the Cavaliers. It just wasn't going to happen because he wasn't that mm-hmm. kind of player coming in from college and he had not become that kind of player while on the cast. He had given an awful lot to this organization and really his work ethic and what he brought to the table, I think, was a big reason why we had any success at all. He was certainly trying yeah. to lead the team as best he could but donovan mitchell is just another level of player and yeah, yeah. so yeah at, at the end of the day what what can i say further than just the proof is in the pudding of we didn't have to play in to the playoffs this year we didn't have to fight to prove that we deserve to be there we didn't fall off the cliff after the all-star break and we stayed a team that even though we um, struggled pretty much the whole season to start games strongly. We mm-hmm. we were a team that always came out in the second half, course corrected and and regained a lead and won those games. So I got to give that to Donovan, his leadership and the big change of him coming here and leading this team in a different way. I totally agree, and and I also think that. We we tend to speak in hyperbole here because we are fans of the team and we've joked and we've even had some legitimate questions about whether or not Donovan should be an MVP candidate or whatnot. And there are the other guys that are going to get the MVP and are actually in that race. They truly deserve it. But sure. there are national media types like J.J. Redick who had Donovan Mitchell fifth in MVP voting. I don't think you or I even considered that in that trade episode because we knew that we what we were getting on some level, but I don't think either of us thought, oh, we're getting a guy who is going to get MVP votes. That's not I don't I don't think we were in that realm of thinking. And on top of that, we knew the East would be tougher. We didn't think it would be the absolute slaughterhouse that it is this this year it is absolutely brutal the amount of talent um that has it just emerged out of the east and the every game it has just been a battle for the Cavs and 
when you have a guy who's getting fifth, even top 10 voting for MVP, that means you have someone that is just a franchise difference maker. And it's it goes back to what you and I mentioned way at the beginning of this. And all the credit to Altman and, and JB on pulling the trigger for this and, and agreeing to shift the identity and having that difference maker. Well, they recognized another generational talent in Mitchell, mm-hmm. and they said, "Listen, we've got to, we got to bring him here." And I think we all wondered how it would work because, of course, with the Sexton Garland situation, it was two small guards, and would that work on a team in the NBA? And we have two small guards again this year, and yet it worked just fine. And that's because Donovan mm-hmm. Mitchell brought in a level of veteran leadership and expertise in the game that just made everything transition so easily. And I think you and I mm-hmm. could not could not know or expect that in any way, shape, or form. But I'll, I'll never forget going to the first couple weeks of, of games, because I didn't get a chance to after, really. Um, and everybody, the whole crowd was chanting MVP after the first couple weeks. Mm-hmm. As you could just see, this guy was so special, and he was going to bring a totally different attitude to the team. And yeah, and now it's we're here. It's mm-hmm. I'm excited because I've said when we got him, all right, well, if if it works, it's not going to work in the first season. So mm-hmm. whatever we get out of this year, let's just be happy with whatever we get. Yeah. Well, so far, I'm extremely happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Adam, we're here. The Cavs are facing the New York Knicks, who recently won 18 of their 25 games to end the year and were 3-1 against the Wine and Gold this season. Still, the Knickerbockers are big underdogs right now. Is there a particular player that you are worried about on the Knicks? And how about a player that needs to step up for the Cavs? Well, we've talked about this over the last couple of episodes. We've known that this is coming, and we are concerned. I mean, we, we have legitimate concerns because the Knicks are probably a better team than they appeared to be through most of the season and their record at the end of the year kind of shows that the fact that they beat us three out of four times um, is a concern for for sure and you know kind of my biggest worry is actually player related it is Julius Randle I'm concerned about him coming back healthy and being the force of nature that he is through the first series he's averaging 25 points this year his shooting percentages are up. He's averaging a double-double with uh, 10 rebounds. So um, he's going to be probably one of the biggest challenges if we can figure out a way, if, if he's going to be hobbling at all on his injury or uh, maybe not playing his full minutes. We have to take advantage of that as much as possible. But um, all indications point to him being ready for game one. And then we'll just see how he how he goes. So that's probably my biggest concern for a Knicks player. Um, I think in general I'm concerned about the Knicks overall because of what I've stated already. Plus, you know, they were bounced last year in the first round. I think they've got a bad taste in their mouth over that. And R.J. Barrett, I know, was just in the media talking about how he feels that they're being very disrespected. Uh, coming into this matchup 
They're uh, minus 200 underdogs, I believe, something like that in the betting uh, mm -hmm. line. So they got a big chip the size of the Big Apple on their shoulder, and that could be bad. So um, I, I could see us losing the first game. Um, that could spell disaster for the series in general. So we really have to take advantage of the fact that we locked up home court advantage. I think that if we don't win all of our games at home, um, there's a real shot that we'll lose in seven in this series. Now a Cavs player that needs to step up. Um, I'm going to say an obvious uh, choice here. I'm going to say Jared Allen needs to be huge in this series. And it's mostly because of the first player that I mentioned, Julius Randle. Now, Evan Mobley might match up well against him, but I think that the veteran presence of Allen is going to make a bigger difference underneath. And we've talked at length over the past year and a half at how important Allen is. We basically could change our name to the Jared Allens. You know, like we're, we're <laughs> an extremely ride-or-die kind of team uh, with yeah, him yeah. in there or not. <laughs> So I'm going to say Jared Allen's going to be huge for the series. He's probably going to be one of the most important pieces for most of the series. But um, if he can match up well and kind of own the paint and and keep people like Randall in check, then I think that we could win in five. But mm -hmm. we'll see how that goes. What do you think? This is kind of funny. I, I think that... You and I usually don't do this. This is I agree with both of your points. I think that if Randall is is healthy, then he is definitely terrifying in in a lot of ways. But I also agree with you that we need to have Allen really uh, curb him in any capacity. Even if Randall's a hundred percent, I expect Jared Allen to cause a lot of issues for Randall. But I went small. I saw. I think that Jalen Brunson is really scary because he also played really well for the Mavericks last year uh, in the playoffs. And he just, I'm like, I've, I've mentioned before I live in the Philadelphia area. Brunson played for Villanova. I saw him on that stage there in college basketball. He's just a really savvy player and those types of players are scary. And we know that a Coro should be okay. Um, but you never know with knee injuries, we know that it's not an injury where his injury will get worse. My understanding, Chris Fedor had reported in his most recent episode of uh, the Wine and Gold podcast that it's a supposedly it's a bone bruise. So unless he knocks knees, Okoro should be all right. But you never know with you know a knee injury is a knee injury. Um, Colin Sexton. So I digress there. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then I went small again for the player that I think that really needs to step up is Darius Garland. I think that Garland uh, has looked lost at sorts during the season. I think that he has played really well overall during the season. But during this, uh, the last 10 games of the season, he has shot a putrid 20, 28% from three. And that is god-awful and just won't cut it in this playoff atmosphere. Garland needs to be the best shooter on the floor outside of Donovan Mitchell on both teams. And he has the capacity to do that because we have seen him 
get extremely hot and he his range is crazy so i think that garland really needs to kind of own up to his kind of wobbly play and just let all of that go and just be extra focused and he needs to just shoot much much better and he had a problem with shooting last year in the plan you and i mentioned i remember that episode he shot horribly in the plan um i believe it was yeah it was against the nets and just didn't look great against the the hawks either so he has some big shoes to fill because even though this is Donovan Mitchell's team right now, as the the countless basketball discussions Adam and I have had off air, he has always believed, Adam has always believed, I'll speak for him right now, Adam's always believed the point guard is the leader of your team. And Darius Garland ultimately is the leader of how this offense is executed, and he needs to really show up. And so that's the guy that I would put the onus on as far as the Cavaliers. So the, the point guard is the floor general. That's what I've always said. And he's the person that is responsible for executing the fundamentals of the plays, the play calls, mm-hmm. making sure people are in the right spots and keeping people accountable. The, the best point guard we have on this team that does that is Ricky Rubio. It's interesting that you went small. I don't think that you're mm-hmm. wrong. It could easily go that direction. Um, oh, yeah. And and I did not know that stat about Garland. That's pretty. That's mm-hmm. not good. And um, my concern, <laughs> that's not good at all. My my concern that's about it my is expert that, opinion. <laughs> well, my, it's not good because it it to me it points to a consistency of him basically running out of gas by the end of the year. That right. Yeah. May, maybe two years in a row now he's got nothing in the tank with ten twelve games left. Mm-hmm. And that shouldn't have happened this year because it wasn't completely on him to win these games like it was last year. So, mm-hmm. hopefully we he just put a little breaking news ticker. <laughs> hopefully That's he just good. got cold at the right time, which was at the end of the year when it doesn't matter, and and now he'll get hot again to start the playoffs. But we'll see. It's really if you just look at the last ten games, it's just really super up and down. Some games right. he's hitting over 500 from three uh, or over 50% from three and other games he's hitting uh, 16%. So that's just not what's going to cut it. Well, especially from a guy that is supposed to be able to hit it from anywhere. I mean, I just, as a person that wanted to be able to be that kind of shooter, when you're advertised as that, you better be that. And Donovan Mitchell came in touting, oh my God, this guy can shoot it from anywhere. Well, that's been Donovan Mitchell to my eye. Mm. more than Garland so come on Garland step up let's see it I want to see you make the shots in practice right now make Mm. them in the game let's do it yeah the final seconds Danny Green got some solid minutes in these last two games finishing on the road at Charlotte with 13 points on 5 of 12 shooting along with four rebounds and a block how much playing time do you think he'll get in this postseason well, it's a great question. I obviously don't know the way JB will will go because sometimes he plays seven guys in a game. I don't know what he's going to do this this postseason. But if it was me, <laughs> I would play him 10, 12 minutes a night, uh, depending on the matchups and kind of how the games go. 
But uh, looking at his stats since coming to the Cavs, he, he played eight games with us, or at least he was around for eight games. Don't know if he actually played all eight. Um, he averaged 12 minutes and 6.5 points on 50% shooting and 44.8% from three. Yes, Danny. Yes. More of that. So, yeah, you averaged those stats for me. 12 minutes, 50%. Shooting, 44% from three, six, seven points a game. That's all I need, man. That's all I envisioned you might give us, except for the occasional 15 or 20 point night because you went off, you know, because you're that kind of guy from the outside, the way we saw Kevin Love do in the, the last few years of him being a Cavalier. So I think he should see time. And especially if JB, depending on the matchups, as we always say, um, but especially if JB can get savvy with pulling guys in and out and making sure that, you know, okay, well, right now Lamar doesn't have it, so let, let Danny try. Obviously, he's still hobbled a little bit. He still has an injury he's dealing with. So whatever considerations have to be met for his injury, obviously that will determine how many minutes they will play him. But I think that... He was a great pickup when, when we got him. It seemed a little suspect that we weren't using him much to end the year, but hopefully it was just to make sure that he was in the right place by the time we actually needed him, which is now. So um, I don't think he's one of those guys that will, you know, if, if we don't have him come out there and play well, we're not going to win. But I do think he's one of those guys that if he does come out there and play well, we're going to be, we're going to coast through the first series. Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal reports that J.B. Bickerstaff turned to wise neighbor, three-time AL Manager of the Year, and Cleveland Guardians skipper Terry Francona for guidance going into the playoffs. Calling the Cavs young and easy to like, Terry is excited to share some ideas with J.B. What do you think of this partnership? And what does this say about J.B.'s headspace right now? First off, I love this partnership. I think that Terry Francona is one of the best, not only managers of baseball, but managers, period. I think that he is a guy who deserves all the accolades that he could ever get. I remember I lived in D.C. at the time, and I worked with a buddy who was a big Boston fan when Francona got fired. And he was completely incensed because he was just like... You just fired a dude who broke this long curse and didn't do anything wrong. Like Francona, just the team didn't perform as well. And I, you know, they were just like, bye. So Francona, I think, is is a guy that JB should rely on and, and use the use what he says wisely. I think that JB is smart enough and is really comfortable in his own skin to really understand what his team needs but i love him reaching out to francona because i think he'll use even the smallest nugget the smallest detail to really make sure that these young players these 21 year olds these 23 year olds use that information to get these young players out the door out of the gate to perform much better even than they did in the regular season because the pressure is so much more immense they're going to be playing in New York, which is the basketball mecca of the United States. 
and there's going to be a lot of, of, of things going on in their head. I've always been impressed by how JB approaches his coaching and his style and his relationship to his players. And I think that relying on and getting information from Francona will improve that even more and could really be helpful when you're dealing with so much pressure in the NBA playoffs, especially when you're playing in a town like New York. And any advantage that JB is looking for is even more proof to those out there that he really is trying to do right by the Cavaliers. Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. Let's go Cavs!